All right, we ready to go? Okay. It sounds like it's awful loud. I'm going to have to listen to my own sermon. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. The uh, lectionary readings for this week in the Eastern Church contain a fascinating text from 2 Corinthians. Now, this passage is contained in a letter which addresses both suffering and hope in a somewhat paradoxical manner. And in the reading for this week, the passage chosen was taken in the larger context, and I think it gives us a way to live holy, distinct and separate lives in a paradox context. You and I live in a world, in a culture, that is primarily focused on two things. One is how we feel, and the second is what's going on. This culture lives based on two things. Feelings, emotions, and circumstances. Both of those are unsure and unclear and they are not any more valuable in a way of life than using a horoscope or a fortune cookie. They are random uh, contexts in relationship to biblical revelation. And so... Uh, It's important that we not live by emotions and circumstances, but that we live by the Word of God. Because we live in a world where our emotions are going to be all over the map. And we live in a situation where circumstances are going to be for us and against us. And if we interpret those as the will of God or the attitude of God as the ancient Greeks and Romans did, we're going to be uh, in trouble. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're eventually going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 6. But I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I want to give you a a context for this. Now if you you listen to uh, Paul's first letter. His first letter is really, I think, a follow-up of the Jerusalem council when they were talking, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? And he addresses those four things that they mention in terms of what they're to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul says, You know that you used to be pagans and you followed dumb idols. He doesn't mean stupid idols. He means mute idols. They can't talk. Uh, however you were led. In other words, they, they had a piece of stone or a piece of wood. And they let whatever feelings they had or whatever circumstances they had be the word of God to them. And he says, we're not that way anymore. We have the spirit of God within us and we have the revelation of God. So when he gets to the second chapter, I mean the second book of Corinthians, it's a very different kind of of context. And Paul uh, gives us these words. I want to read the first verse, chapter uh, 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 
And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Okay, Paul, make up your mind. Are we going to suffer or are we going to be comforted? (laughs) That's the way we think. We dichotomize these things. And then if things are going good, God is good. And if things are going bad, where is God? But the truth is, Judaism and Christianity following it understands that this world is a mixed bag. And that there is suffering and comfort. And that the comfort comes in the midst of suffering, not to replace the suffering. And so there is a paradox uh, that Paul is talking about in this context. And he continues with that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. I want to read that as well. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. vessels." He's talking about clay pots like that one over in the corner there, that replica of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That, That thing is beautiful, but it's fairly easy to... To, uh, to break. Uh, uh, he says, we have this treasure that he is talking about, this hope, in earthen vessels. He's talking about our fleshly bodies. So that the surpassing grace, greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now listen to these words. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I once heard a guy say, you know, the the Christians are too focused on the death of Jesus. Uh, He rose from the dead, that's over. The Christian life involves being aware of the cross and the empty tomb together because we are living in that juxtaposition, that paradox between life and death in that context. And so it's important to keep that in mind. So he says, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore I speak. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and present us with you. And all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So all of these things, the good and the bad, God is working in to bring about His glory. That's what Paul says in Romans. Therefore we do not lose heart, for though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction... That's his comparison. (laughs) Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As Paul says, these things are not worthy to be compared. Well then, what's coming better be incredible. Okay? Because they feel unbearable. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, what is Paul saying? 
Paul's basically telling us that this life is a mixed bag. And it's only really a mixed bag for us. Because even the best of the best of this life is temporary. But we have something of eternity in our hearts and in our hope that gives us a way of navigating through this life, both the feelings and the circumstances, in a way that keeps perspective. And that perspective allows us to maintain a holy life in the paradox of this good, bad, and ugly that's going on around us. So Paul's going to zero in on that specifically in the section for this week's reading. And I want to pick it up a little earlier than the reading. The, the reading actually uh, begins in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but I want to pick it up in chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Now Paul talks about the body being dissolved, this body being dissolved, and that we have one from heaven that's coming. He's addressing the resurrection and the kingdom to come. And he says in 16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him in this way no longer. Now, the community of faith at one time had Jesus in their midst. John says, that which we have seen, which we have handled, we, we have touched of the word of, the li- of life. Him we declare to you. We were there. Peter says, we were with him in the mountain when G- God the Father spoke and we saw him. He's not known that way any longer. He's known in his resurrected context of the kingdom. And so Paul's saying, in some sense, we're living in two realities. We're living in the eternal reality and we're living in the temporal reality. That's the paradox. And so he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, when I first heard that verse, that was one of the memory verses of Youth for Christ. And the way it was interpreted was, as soon as you came to Christ, boom, you're a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. I didn't know it was a quote from Isaiah talking about the, uh, the new creation and the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem. I didn't know that. I thought it was now. This side of the cross, old. This side of the cross, new. And in some sense, that's true. We have been born again. And our spirit is part of that new creation in its rebirth. And we are being conformed into the image of God's Son after resurrection. But it won't happen fully until we're raised from the dead as well. If any man be in Christ, he's part of this new creation. Where God says, the former things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. But if you look in the mirror, same old body, getting older by the moment. Same old health problems. Same old traffic. In some sense, that verse, are you kidding me? The reality is you and I now have a connection to the eternal things of God. And yet we're still here. We're now in this world, but no longer of it. That's what these words that we've been saying for, for decades are about. But we somehow have thought that they happen now and we, we're going to live as if 
it's, it's all now. And what Paul says is, we're going to live in the paradox of both of these things. So he says in verse 17, I mean 18, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us this ministry of rec- reconciliation. Uh, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God was making an appeal through us, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So now what Paul's going to do, is he's going to explain how this works. And you have to understand the paradox of what he's been talking about in order to understand chapter 6. So we now hit chapter 6, and we're going to look at that entire chapter. Working together with him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We are either or people. Either I have the grace of God, or I'm going to get the grace of God. Which is it? Either I'm in the kingdom, or I'm going to be in the kingdom. Which is it? Right? That's, that's our kind of mindset. Come, comes out of that Greco-Roman foundation. These two things can both be true at the same time. can't be true that I'm in the kingdom, and the kingdom's not yet. It can't be true that this is the day of salvation, and the day of salvation is yet to come. But it is true. So he says this. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Now this is interesting. Day of salvation I helped you. Looking past. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Peter says you're ready for a salvation, ready to be revealed in times to come. So what is it? Was I saved? Am I saved? Will I be saved? And the answer is yes. There is a paradoxical issue going on that we need to understand. And so Paul says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We are to live as if We are certain of the salvation which is to come and we are living anticipatory to that in such a way that we no longer belong to this present age. We belong to the age to come. And so he says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Why would we do that? We do that because we want other people to catch what this new kingdom is going to be about. So that they'll say, I like that. You mean people will be honest? You think people will be treated fair? That's why we're doing it. That's what the the whole kingdom's going to be like that. I like that. But if we act like the world, they go, what ministry of reconciliation? Right? So he says, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. Now let me tell you something. Because people say, hey, I don't want to sign up for that. Okay? I got enough of that now. Exactly. So you can go through it without him or you can go through it with him. Right? We all signed up for it because we were born. Those things are going to happen. 
the question is, are you going to go on it on your own? Or are you going to go on it with the one who gives us the comfort wherewith we can comfort one another? In beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Wow, these are all, this is the abundant life. Right? This is life. But it's this life, and we're going through it, but we're not of this. Because we're also, while we're comforted as we go through those, we're in purity, that singleness of purpose, knowledge, patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. We have the Spirit of God in us, pushing us on towards kingdom things. And the maturity and the fruit of that is the love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering. That's not going to come from your emotions. That's not going to come from your circumstances. That comes from the Spirit of God that overrides the emotions, brings them into conformity, that, that holds us in the midst of the storm without necessarily taking the storm away. He says, In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. It is in our living obedience to God that we have comfort and assurance that we belong to Him. Hereby we know we are the children of God because we believe in the One who was come in Jesus Christ and we keep His commandments, right? Here's how we know the children of the devil, right? They, they act according to the flesh. So there's a clear distinction between those who live holy in the paradox of life and those who let life cause them to get discouraged and say, I'm just going to make the best of this life. He says, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Every time I have a major death in, in my life, I think to myself, I'll never rejoice again. It just overwhelms you. you. Many of you know that. You just think, there'll just be a sadness in me forever. And there is a sadness that stays with that, but it's not a permanent one in the sense that there's hope. But the rejoicing comes back, particularly because of the hope. Being poor, yet making many rich. He's talking about them as ministers in that context. Having nothing and yet possessing all things. And so what Paul is saying to them is that this is the, this is the paradox. The paradox is involved in a life where there's all kinds of terrible things from this life and there's all kinds of positive things from the kingdom. We get to bring those into this life to comfort us and to in, help us to endure until this life is over and we enter into the kingdom. Now the problem is and I think his next section is probably the most important. Paul understands something that I think many in American Christianity don't understand. I want you to look really carefully at verse 11. Because you have to have spiritual balance in order to do this. And spiritual balance requires something. And Paul gets it. 
He says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Now, most, you read a commentary, you oh, what is he talking about? Here's what Paul's saying. We've been really transparent with you. We've walked with you in this obedience to God. We have lived in this paradox of being beaten and suffering and, do, and yet rejoicing and, and being removed from things and, and put in prison uh, and yet the gospel continues to operate. We have done that. You have seen that. And we want you fully connected to us and the kingdom. But you are restrained and you're restrained by your own emotions. Have you ever had someone who just couldn't quite connect to you? You try to connect to them. They can't make it. You try to... There's nothing on your side stopping it. You're just... You're just as transparent and open. You want to help them and they just can't receive the help. The problem's not coming from you at that point. It's coming from them. And what Paul's saying is, you have got to, Corinthians, you have got to get past these restraints that you have put on yourself and you've got to open up to the religious community, to the community of God, the people of God, so that you can get this balance in your life. You're not going to be able to walk that thing alone. You're going to need us. And he says that in the context of where they have been opening themselves and connecting. And that's the next part. So he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness And what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement with the temple of God and with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now Paul's going to say, you're not going to be able to keep this balance. If you're spending your time connected primarily to the people of the world. He's not talking about joining a monastery. He's talking about where the focus of your life is. Are the primary people in your life the community of faith? Or are they just a lifeline to the kingdom? If you are primarily connected to people who are not of the faith, as they get tripped around, you're going to get tripped around with them. In other words, and you know this, if you ride in a car with a crazy driver, you're going to ride crazy. And if you ride in a car with a safe driver, you're going to ride safe, or at least safer, right? Because wherever that car is going, it takes you with it. And so who we connect to, who our relationships are, I, I've been all week watching uh, Facebook Friends Day nonsense. Have you seen this? They do, uh, it's Friends Day, here are your friends, and they take pictures from your past. 
and put them up there. And then uh, they, they say, and here's some things you guys did together. And they put some other pictures. And then they say, remember this. And it's usually the person's birthday. What I've noticed, and I've been looking at serious believers who are walking this paradox well and those who are not. And it's pretty clear to me that the ones who, who are walking close to God, the pictures that come up are close friends and family who are all believers. And the ones who are not have their party friends and their party activities. Now, I'm not talking about that as a stop it. I'm talking about where is your heart? Where is your focus? Okay? That's what Paul's talking about. This life is going to be difficult to walk through it in the way that we have to walk through it. We need community. And he's not talking about coming to church. Because we're not walking the world this morning, right? The most minimalist Christian can come to this service and read scripture and pray and have biblical thoughts. This is like an intensive care room, right? It's what you do when you step outside. Then is your mind on heavenly things. Then is your mind on kingdom things. And the relationships you have all week are going to reinforce that. Now I have, a, I have an advantage in that most of my week is spent around the religious community. Um, you know, I, could, I can make a claim that Sometimes at Cal Baptist, it's hard to live for God. <laughs> there was a guy once, when Wheaton was at its heyday, who said, it's hard to live for God at Wheaton. <laughs> okay. Uh, and maybe that's true. Rami's always talking about how hard it is to live for God in America because it's easy to get distracted. Okay. But the reality is, most of us, unless we are holding on to relationships or struggling with relationships that have been damaged in the religious community. We're open. Our hearts are open to that. The question will be, will our children grow up with their hearts open to that? Because the culture that has risen up, the postmodern culture, is all about feeling and circumstances. All about feeling and circumstances. And as I talk about this on the campus and I listen to students, I'm already seeing people who, who when they read the Bible, they're totally confused because it doesn't make sense against their postmodern worldview. And that's a scary thing. So Paul says, these things are incompatible. Therefore, he says, come out from their midst and be separate. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There really is a drawing away from this world and focusing on kingdom things in our walk with the Lord. It's very hard to walk with the Lord and walk with the world together. Um, 
I talk about this a lot. I, I am struck by the line of Cain and the line of Seth in the book of Genesis where we have two Enochs. One Enoch has a city named after him. One Enoch is the son of Cain and he is about reputation and fame and getting as much of the world as he can. And the other Enoch is the Enoch who walked with God and was not for God took him. Now I don't think he went to a monastery and hid himself. I don't think that's what he did. He didn't live in isolation. Jesus the most holy who ever walked on the earth, was interacting with sinners so much that people were complaining. But he was not following them. He was illuminating them. And that's a difference. And Paul's saying, you must connect to the community of faith and you must somewhat distance yourself from the direction of those who are not of faith, even though we're living in it, but not of it. And that really is a difficult process. It's very difficult for those of us who grew up in a different kind of America that was quasi-Christian friendly to think about that. Because I had friends, some of them unbelievers, who had better values than my church friends. Because the church was talking about grace all the time. So nobody thought they had to obey, right? And these other people didn't know much about grace. And they were in a performance mode. But they at least treated you better, right? That's, that's an odd thing. That world is gone. The world that the children are growing up in now is one where anything goes. As long as it feels right and the circumstances allow it. And Children who don't have a biblical gyroscope in them and a community of faith to buffer them from that influence are going to be easy for the enemy to pick off. And he goes to and fro seeking whom he may devour. And any predator, any predator, never goes after the strong. They always go after the weak Naive and innocent. So we want our children to grow in grace and in knowledge and in wisdom and in a community that will help them make wise decisions uh, in that process so that we have opened our hearts to one another and separated ourselves from those who would do damage to our spiritual growth. As the world becomes darker, we have to know who to connect to and who to avoid. We must stay out of the deeds of unrighteousness, whether they're done by unbelievers or by those who claim to be believers. And we need to make sure that our children understand that difference. Because if they have a very concrete view, this or that, they will be easily deceived in that context. So we have to learn to be holy in the context of these paradoxes so that we can be a model for our children. Let's pray.